Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. I was very blessed to have a great mom that always took care of us, and at the same time, the great thing is we could talk basketball at home, but she always kept it in perspective and said, all right, you got dishes. (laughs) The Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and Learfield IMG College and is brought to you by Wilson Sporting Goods. And now your host, Coach Dave Odom. Welcome back to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. We are really fortunate today to have as our guest the head coach of the Baylor Bears, Scott Drew. He's been with us before, but he's got a new story to tell. Uh, Baylor right now is is having a great season. We're going to talk about uh, his team uh, when we get a little further into the conversation. But I always like to begin at the early stages of, the, of these coaches that we're talking to their lives. And in Scott Drew, it's a fascinating early lifetime. Uh, he had a father, has a father, uh, Homer Drew, who when he was coaching was highly revered across the country. Uh, he was one of the uh, great coaches coaching at one of the smaller schools that didn't have football at that time, Valparaiso. There's all kinds of great stories that come out of Valparaiso when Homer Drew was coaching there. He's got a wife and a mother. Uh, Scott's got a mother that uh, really took care of him as well, and she probably doesn't get as much praise for uh, her boys, if you will. That would be Homer, Scott, and Bryce, Uh, the the great things that they've done in basketball. We want to talk about her a little bit. And he's got a great uh, a brother who's also doing great things at Vanderbilt right now, although this season he's had some injuries there. So a big welcome to uh, Scott Drew, uh, the head basketball coach with the Baylor Bears. Well, thank you very much for having me. Really appreciate it. So my first recruiting memory was on the road with my dad, and I think he got pulled over for speeding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I, I could tell you, I could tell you uh, at a young age, he taught me to keep stats, who to watch, who to see. And then uh, uh, my brother, I, and my sister, I'm the oldest, and there's my sister, and then there's my brother. And uh, um, we grew up in the gym while he would work, and uh, he did a great job just uh, uh, allowing us an opportunity to be a part of his life and his team. And I remember, you know, you'd get back at 2, 3 in the morning. This is before all the charter planes and everything, and uh, uh, you'd wake up and say, did we win? (laughs) So, anyway, a lot of great memories early on. Tell me about your sister. I mean, tell me she's not in she's not in basketball too, is she? <laughs> well, she was. She actually has her jersey retired at the University of Toledo. I believe she was a MAC MVP for three of her four years. Bill Finley was the coach during the time, and they went to the tournament almost every year and had a lot of success. And now he's at Iowa State for a long time, done a great job there. And she's a lawyer and uh, uh, works with uh, uh, helping coaches out and doing uh, uh, education on Title IX and things like that. So uh, she's also got four kids, so that keeps her pretty busy. My brother-in-law is 6'11", was drafted by the 76ers, played overseas for a number of years, and he's on my brother's staff. So we finally got some height in the family, which is great. Where where are they living? In Nashville. So uh, my brother's the head coach, you know, at Vanderbilt, and then my brother-in-law is his assistant this year. Well, that's great. Now, yeah, so tell me about business. Bryce. I mean, you, you, you talk to him weekly, every day. What do you, what, what's the deal there? And does he lament his problems, or is he very <laughs> positive, and you keep him positive and, you know, telling him every, everybody going to go through this at one time or another? Well, you know, you know the advice to give. <laughs> so um, normally after a, a, a 
loss by uh, them. I try to keep them positive. A loss after for by us, they try to keep me positive. And um, it, the 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 blessing is during the season. Uh, that's when you have the most stress and the uh, the most highs and lows. And it's great to uh, have not only family members to talk to that love you, but also are educated about what you're going through so they can help you. Because when you're ever in a, a great success or a great struggle, you're you're usually talking to family. And in our case, the great thing is family able is able to actually help us in either situation. So uh, uh, you mentioned my dad at Valparaiso, and um, he was there for a number of years, actually has a court named after him and uh, a great career there. And uh, he was the seventh all-time winningest active coach before he retired. So he's been through a lot of highs and lows and, and, and can offer a lot of uh, uh, wisdom. And then my brother, obviously, uh, uh is somebody that uh, we, my dad and I, we coached him. He played for us. We went to the Sweet 16. Probably the best memory I'll ever have in coaching is when he hit the shot to beat Ole Miss, and and uh, uh, we were one of those Cinderella stories. And usually they'll show uh, uh, those Pontiac game-changing moments in the tournament, and that's always a great memory to live. Um, now, unfortunately for me, probably my worst memory in NCAA history was another coach's son, R.J. Hunter, hit a big shot to beat us. And the irony is. When Coach Hunter was thinking of having his son play for him, he, one of the people he talked to was my dad and asking him advice as far as it's a good idea, bad idea. So I wish we could have had my dad tell him, no, you don't need him to play for you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Listen, uh, go back to your when you were growing up at Valpo or wherever it happened to be, and you've got uh, uh, dinner. You, you're eating dinner. Uh, you got uh, your dad, you got your brother, you got your sister, and then you got the matriarch, your mother. What part, uh, other than fixing dinner that night, what, what part did she play in your life and uh, your brother's life um, in keeping your dad on an even keel? I mean, my experience is the mothers don't get enough credit, but they do a lot of work. You are 100% accurate on that. So we know in, uh, um, I think the, the easiest way to relate uh, the coaching profession is parenting. And and we have uh, 13, and then you include walk-ons, so you have 15 or 16, uh, 18 to 22 year olds that you're helping raise. And for any of us that raise two or three kids, we know how time-consuming that is. Let alone trying to raise 15, 18 to 22 year olds, plus recruiting the next class and the next class and the next class. So you are spending an enormous amount of time at your job, which means somebody's got to take care of uh, everything at home. And if you're not blessed with an outstanding wife, you're not going to have a very good career because you can't be two places at once. And uh, um, I was very blessed to have a great mom that uh, uh, always took care of us. And at the same time, uh, the the great thing is uh, we could talk basketball at home, but she always kept it in perspective and said, all right, you got dishes. <laughs> Gar- one of you on the dishes, the other one on the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of player were you, Scott? I mean, we're, uh, I know you played high school basketball, didn't play in a college, but uh, uh, what kind of player were you? Well, I, I wasn't a very good one. Otherwise, I'd have played in the NBA like my brother. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was I was really small for my size. I was five one and a half as a sophomore in in high school. And at that point, uh, I realized God might want me in coaching rather than playing. And uh, uh, so that that's the good thing is I was at a, a young age able to actually start coaching my brother's team and sister's team in the summer times and got got a jump start into the the career. And when uh, I was at Butler, I got to to learn under uh, uh, Coach Barry. 
Collier, who was an outstanding coach, went to Nebraska and coached, and then Thad Mata, who had an unbelievable career at Ohio State, and Xavier and Butler, uh, Jay John, who was the head coach at Oregon State, and a lot of people that gave me a different perspective. So when I worked with my dad, I was able to uh, uh, bring some ideas to the table as well. And then uh, um, spent uh, uh, my assistant career for my dad. My dad uh, retired. I took over as head coach. And uh, the blessing there was my brother was the 16th pick, played six years in the NBA. When he got done playing in the NBA, he was thinking of going into coaching. My dad was missing coaching. And Baylor came open, so I was able to go to Baylor. My dad was able to to come back and coach, and then my brother coached for him. So both my brother and and I learned from my dad, so we can blame him for any problems that we have in coaching. (laughs) You know, that's an interesting thing because, you know, I've got two sons uh, in coaching as well. And, you know, whenever Ryan and Lane came to me and said they want to coach, I said, fine, I'll help you get a job. Uh, I, I chose not to have them come with me probably because I am so overbearing and I know myself, I wanted them to have room to grow. Uh, Obviously that was not the case uh, with uh, your dad. I mean, he felt very comfortable in bringing you back and it worked out really well for you and Bryce both. Was that, was that ever a conversation? Was it ever a thought I got to go away and then maybe come back or can I just jump right in there and be my dad's assistant? Well, my dad wanted me to go to law school, so <laughs> I had to fight him and get my master's uh, uh, to be able to, to coach. And during that time, you remember uh, the, the restricted earnings position and where assistants didn't make as much money. So it was a, a little bit easier for us to work for my dad because uh, uh, we had a lot of turnover at that level because the pay wasn't very good and uh, um, people were constantly leaving. And the great thing with us being able to work at that level with my dad is there were so many things you could do. Um, at the higher level, you have so much more help that it, it pigeonholes you more in what you do. But there, I mean, you could you could sweep the floors, do the recruiting, do everything, and learn everything. And then the great thing with uh, uh, working for, for your dad, I think one thing uh, um, I've heard from other coaches' sons that have worked for their dad, when you lose – um, as a head coach, you know how hard that is. And it's different when you're an assistant coach. But when you're an assistant coach and your head coach is your dad, you take that loss just as hard, if not harder, than your dad does. So what that does is it prepares you to be a head coach because I can tell you as a son, there's nothing worse than reading the paper and people ripping on your dad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can handle ripping on you easier than ripping on your dad or family members. So it, I thought that really helped prepare me to be a head coach, not only from the responsibility he gave us and allowed us to do things, but also uh, identifying and feeling the pressure that comes with the position. And then um, the thing I loved about my dad was he he cared so much about his his players and his past players. I think he spent more time trying to get past players jobs and get them into coaching or whatnot than he did in recruiting. And and uh, um, I really learned just the the family atmosphere he was able to generate. And I think he finished with uh, close to 100 former players or managers that were in coaching or teaching. And uh, over a long career, that's 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 awesome. I was looking at uh, your job assignments, if you will. Uh, when you were at Butler, you were a student assistant. And, of course, when you get back to Valpo, you don't have maybe quite the staff, number of staff that, that, that say you've, you've got now or Bryce has now at, at Vanderbilt. So as a student assistant and as a first assistant at Valpo, your jobs were probably a little bit different. I mean, it wouldn't be unheard of you for you to, uh, let's just say, 
uh, sweep the floor before practice and, oh, you know, get things ready, get the number the floor, of balls that we need. Balls, everything, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to, I mean, that was invaluable to you, was it not? It's kind of like a, um, uh, for any business owner, if you start from the ground up and you do every job that, uh, uh, say you're in a restaurant business and you've done every job at the restaurant, makes it a lot easier to manage a restaurant because you know what everyone's going through and what they're supposed to do. So there's a million ways to skin a cat, as we all know, but the great thing is um, the way that, 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 that we were able to do it uh, has worked out for my brother and I. And, and the great thing is when you have great moments, you want to share them with people and being able to share uh, the highs of college basketball with my brother and dad, I mean, those are memories that you always cherish and you always love because um, when you have a great m memory, you want to be there to share it with the loved ones. Well, uh, you, you spent uh, nine years as an assistant to your dad at Valpo, and you had some really, really good seasons. You must have had some uh, at least feelers, maybe offers uh, from schools. You didn't take any of them. You chose to stay with your dad. You stayed there for nine years. Uh, why did you do that? Um, from from the standpoint that uh, uh, um, uh, I, what I loved was when I did have interest, my dad always encouraged me, if you want to do this, if you want to, um, when I was an assistant, if it was leave for another assistant job for uh, uh uh, in the power five or more money, or if it was another, uh, uh, a low major head job, um, he was very supportive and encouraging, but at the same time, uh, I knew we were doing really well at, at, at Valpo and I knew there was a chance when, when he retired, I could take over. So, uh, that's, that's something I wanted to do because the more time I could spend with him and, and, you know, you feel invested in a program when you, when you've coached and recruited players, it's hard to leave them. And, this is my 16th year at, at, at uh, Baylor, and the best the best memories at both places are the are when past players come back and spend time with your current guys. And to me, I just I love that in the summertime when our guys come back that are playing professionally and sit around, tell stories, and then most importantly, help the young guys out. And uh, you just feel part of a family that way. All right, so you're head coach at Valpo for one year. They had you were the regular season champion that year you're runner-up in the tournament didn't win the conference championship so you were um, you were picked uh, however to uh, go to the NIT all of that was uh, came together in a very nice fashion and then uh, you got a phone call and uh, here comes uh, Baylor and they're asking you to come down and be the head coach down there and you took over and let's be honest you took over a, pro a program that was ravaged with uh, NCAA problems Obviously, had nothing to do with you. Uh, they ask you to come in there and, and and restructure the program, get it back on a solid ground, win some basketball games, get good kids in there who are interested in not only playing basketball but being good students and and good and, and good model citizens. Tell us what it was like uh, in the first years as the head coach at Baylor with all of that going on around you. You had no experience with that. I mean, you didn't. You were in a, in a Valpo program in Butler where things just went perfectly. I mean, everybody went to class and they did their jobs and they didn't ask for anything above uh, NCAA uh, regulations. And here you are in a situation, again, which had nothing to do with you. You're just taking it over and you got to restructure it. Well, the, 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 the blessing behind that was uh, Baylor and and uh, Falpo were similar type schools, small private Christian schools that uh, um, 
uh, family-type atmosphere, very strong academics, a lot of traditions. And when my dad went to Valpo, I remember Digger was the head coach at Notre Dame at the time, and he told my dad, you can't go there because no, one no one's ever won there. They never had a winning record in Division One. He said, it's a dead-end job. No one will win there. And it took uh, uh, five years, but after that, uh, it was like six straight conference championships or conference tournament championships or six out of seven. So unprecedented success. And that blueprint is basically um, what, what, what I took to, uh, to Baylor and, and how we did things there is how we built it here. And as you know, it all starts with who you recruit. And if you're if you're fortunate enough to bring in talented players that are high character, great work ethic, team guys, it makes things a lot easier. And the good thing is, um, we were able to get that in the first couple of years here, and and from there, just the the uh, the talent level kept increasing and getting better. And we were able to at that point uh, get to where I believe in the last ten years we have the second best winning percentage in the Big. 12 behind Kansas. We have the second best road record in the last eight years. So we've gone to two elite eights. We've gone to two sweet 16s. So that's four sweet 16s in the last eight years. And uh, again, the players uh, uh, that have played here, they deserve all the credit because um, we, we don't we don't score any points or play any defense, but uh, they've done a great job representing the university and, and caring about our program and developing our program. Part of that uh, probation, it, it really is head scratching. Uh, you know, they they allowed you to play conference games, but no non-conference games for a number of years. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. So, uh, so, <laughs> so that's the great thing is no one ever will be able to 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 have more experience in that than us because we were the first program to ever not. Instead of losing a whole year, we lost a half year. And uh, so I can I if anyone ever's in that situation, I can tell them what to do and what not to do because we're the only ones to ever have that experience. And um, the tough thing for that was the the first two years were regular years, and then was year three that that penalty actually came down because that's how long it took to to try the case. And what was tough was going in and telling your team that you're they're going to miss a non-conference and then as you're practicing day in and day out day in and day out it's one thing when everybody back then you remember when you'd have the first practice and uh, uh midnight madness and all that stuff and and now um everyone's playing and you're not playing and then you wait to your first game and when we played our first game, no matter what you try to do to simulate, it's not game-like because you don't have a packed arena, the uniforms aren't on. And, and so we come out and, and, I mean, we're terrible out of the gate. You can't, you can't, it's, that's why you play at non-conferences to, to, to develop your team and get ready for conference. So not only do you not play, but then when you play, you're terrible. And, and it took us a while to about the second half of conference to where we were competitive and won games. And, and and that made for a really tough year for the guys. But uh, the next year we really springboarded after that. But if anyone's ever in that situation, I'm the <laughs> only person that has experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully, uh, your, breaks, your breakthrough season, 07, 08, you go 21-9 and nine overall. You go 9-7 and seven in the league. You get to the NCAA tournament. You were fourth in the Big 12 that year. That had to be a huge collective sigh of relief. Huge, and uh, um, the 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 irony there is, we were we we had a, a 
uh, a party, you know, where you find out where you're going to be at. We filled the Ferrell Center, and everyone's in there, and it's a great atmosphere. And they start putting teams up and putting teams up and putting teams up and putting teams up. And you, you, you've been there. When you get an automatic bid, you still, until your team goes up there, you're like, I hope they didn't leave us out, you know? And when it's an at-large bid, you, 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 you feel like you're always good, but until you see your name up there, you never know. Well, we get down to the last school to be called. And I'm thinking for the first time, what are we going to tell people if we don't get called? You know, because you, you got a gym full of packed people, everyone's excited. And then the last name called was Baylor, and the place went crazy. It was pandemonium is one of the best moments we've had here and uh, just seeing everyone's uh, uh, excitement jubilation and for all the hard work and all the trials to get to that uh, it, it, it was exciting to say the least you're in the big 12 big 12 is a great football league in addition to being a great basketball league how do you build momentum from a fan base standpoint uh, and keep pace with you know the the uh, mystery of fog allen uh, Fieldhouse or or Texas, uh, the the big arena there. Um, it's got to be really really hard because you're in Waco, Texas. You're not in uh, Dallas or Fort Worth. I, mean, I know you got fan, fans there, but trying to get people in your arena and get them excited about basketball, you got to work at that awfully hard. Well, and that starts with uh, um, having success on the court because. If you're not winning, fans don't want to come. So if you're winning, that helps with it. Uh, we have a great athletic department marketing group, and they do a, an outstanding job in uh, uh, identifying and, and uh, making sure that, that we have a home court advantage. And then uh, uh, the blessing we have is there's a lot of money in Texas with all the oil, and uh, so we're constantly building new buildings, and uh, 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 the basketball arena is, is the next project up. So we're hoping in the next year or two we will have a new facility in you and I know whenever you get a new facility, there's always added excitement. And nowadays, everybody's making them uh, more friendly for fans, but also smaller to make sure they're packed from the standpoint. Every game's on TV, and there's so many so many other things that provide competition for for, for fans out there. So uh, I think a lot, a lot more people have gone more to the, the Duke model of smaller, more compact, and, and that, that's something that we're excited about, a new arena. Well, you should be. Um, Scott, um, you know, we get so many questions and inquiries about, you know, how do I get – I want to I want to be a college coach. I'm in high school right now. I want to be a college coach. How do I get there? Um, or I want to be a – I am an assistant coach, and I want to be a head coach in college. What kind of advice and what kind of uh, tricks, if you want to call them, or, uh, how, what, do you, what do you tell these – Young people that want to advance in the profession. Well, well, first of all, as as we all know, networking is so critical. So um, it used to be a lot of people would work other people's camps in the summertime, and that's always a good way to to get to know the staff and know the head coach. The other thing is uh, um, just getting with a good program and working from the ground up, and um, it might mean that you're you're as most of us, our first couple jobs were 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 or pennies. I mean, you, you didn't get in it for the money. So, um, but, but basically as a graduate assistant, administrative assistant, if you can latch on with a good program, kind of like in the NBA, if you got on with the Spurs, you, 
you didn't have to worry about what you made in your title there. You just know if you were with the Spurs long enough, um, good things would happen. And when you get with good organizations and good programs, good coaches, usually good things happen because people want to hire people from those uh, places. So um, that that start from the ground up, whatever way you can get in with a good program, uh, work as hard as you can, do as good a job as you can, and then uh, the rest uh, will take care of itself. You know, everybody's concerned, uh, and rightfully so, about the profession itself. Uh, what kind of work do you do with your staff uh, in, in staff meetings, ta- uh, uh, you know, encouraging them to you know, know the NCAA rules and live up to its model as you go along? Well, I think a lot of it, is, it starts with the uh, schools themselves because if you have a good compliance staff, um, they can keep you updated with a lot of rule changes and, and reminders with the rules because uh, it's kind of like driving. If you don't know on the highway it's 55 or 65 or 70, uh, in Texas we can go to 75 or 85 on tollways too, by the way. But uh, uh, if you don't know the speed limit, it's hard to follow them. So with, with certain rules, everyone knows you can't pay players and things like that. But what most people get in trouble for are rules they might not know about when you can talk to somebody, where you can talk to them, when you can call them first. And that's the blessing that a lot of schools have really expanded their uh, compliance staffs. And the more compliance personnel you have, uh, many hands make light work. And uh, in the Power Five especially, uh, you're given all the resources to keep you updated and uh, emails, meetings. And then then it's up to the coaches uh, uh, to take it from there. And just like you, I mean, if you're talking about rules and and that's a focus and that's important to you, whatever's important to the head coach usually is important to the program. And with us, uh, we're blessed to have guys that want to do it the right way, and um, uh, that's what we, we strive to do. You know, the landscape of college basketball has changed. Recruiting, you know, you got the one-and-dones. you got uh, – I think there's, there's two kinds of one-and-dones. One on the front end, like Duke has. You know, they got Barrett and they got uh, Williamson and they got Reddish, and those are one-and-dones. And then you got the grad student on the other end mm-hmm. – they also, like the prior example, they're one and done as well. Um, sometimes you don't have, um, I don't know which one you'd like. I mean, you, the, the one thing about the grad students is that they've got a lot of experience, whereas some of the one and dones uh, on the front end, you got to kind of go through maybe a, a month or two of, of teaching them what it's like to be college. Which one do you prefer? Do you like this kind of flow for the uh, – or college basketball the way it is now? Uh, personally, it's it's a lot more enjoyable to recruit somebody for two or three years and then have them for four years and then have them a part of your program for life than it is recruit somebody for one or two years or in grad situations, recruit them for one or two months, get them for eight months, and then I mean, they, they, they identify with your program, but it's just like a, a, a dating. I mean, if you're married for 20 years, you're a lot closer to, to your wife than in your first year. And it's the same thing if you date a girl for one year. You're not as close as if you date someone for six years. So as a coach, you, you, you love relationships. So uh, it's, it's a necessity of the game. You're going you're gonna to take a one and done if they want to come. And if there's a great grad player, you're going to take them. But 
if you're asking personal preference, um, there's something about a, a, a four-year player or a five-year player if they've redshirted when they get called on senior night. It seems to mean a little bit more to them, um, and, and rightfully so. When you put in that much time into a program, um, you're just that much more endeared to it. But, again, uh, it's like technology uh, uh you might not like it, but if you don't embrace it and use it, you're going to get passed by. So, as coaches, uh, uh, we're going to we're going to recruit uh, every way legal, and that means if they want to if they're one and dones and they're they want to come, probably you're going to take them. And if they're grad students or transfers, you're probably going to take them. Um, but if you're asking personal preference, I think uh, I'd rather see someone come in and spend five four or five years with them uh, uh, than just eight months. Amen to that. Um, w- one last question here. We'll get you out of here, and you've been kind with your time. Um, I'm concerned about the flow of the game. Um, you know, I'm all for getting things the right way. You know, we've had a recent situation in uh, the NFL where there's so much talk about the, uh, uh, you know, pass, uh, pass defense or pass interference, and, you know, it's not going to change. I mean, it happened, and you got to move on. I'm of the opinion I'm, we had – we, we did okay when we had two officials. Now we got three officials, and now that's not enough because we got uh, instant replay and the number of times that the officials go over and two of them look at the play and one of them stands removed and then they make, the two make a decision and they call the third guy over and have him look to see if he concurs. How are you on the flow of the game and how is it from a coaching standpoint that you, you know, you've got things you want to get done but – you know the, the the play ends and it stops and it's just it's just hard to get it going again. Well, I think uh, um, every coach would agree you want the play to be called right. So to get right, you probably need the review. Uh, unfortunately, everybody wants to get it right and they want to get it right quickly. So that's the question. Like we had a, uh, a call in one of our uh, last few games where uh, it was out of bounds on us, went to the monitor, and it was out of bounds on the other team. And it was great because it's under 30 seconds to go in the game. And, and if they get the ball, they got a chance to tie. We get the ball back. They foul. Game's basically over. So you want that call right because when you the game's over, you're going to look at it yourself. And if it's wrong, that th- those eat you up. You're like, how'd they miss that? So, um, but I think if if there was a way to speed all of that up, and I don't know if that's having uh, uh, someone full-time at the monitor that makes a quick decision, so the reviews are only 15 or 30 seconds rather than a couple minutes, but um, I think with technology, there's that, that's that's something that we're constantly trying to figure out. Well, one more question I, I just thought of, and I'm, I'm dying to ask this. You've got an elite women's basketball program there. How do you coexist? Does one play off the other? My guess is yes. Yes, we're blessed to have a great women's program, and and uh, uh, they're usually in the top five. And uh, when when their name's at the bottom of the ticker, and they're ranked number one as they currently are right now, uh, the great thing is you, there's a lot of pride and excitement. You you work so much in the office, and you're in the gym, and you share gym times. We have our own practice facilities, but when you share the main court and uh, you cross paths, uh, it, it's it's great to be able to uh, uh, not only have someone that uh, runs a great program, but does it in a way that the school can be very proud. So uh, we're very blessed. Okay, I want to uh, wrap this up by saying uh, a big thank you to everyone that has listened in. Um, 
The NABC Guardians of the Game podcast has been a fun thing for all of us. We get really interesting guests like Scott Drew, and uh, we're going to continue to do this each and every week. And I want to take a second to uh, thank Scott Drew, the highly successful head coach of the Baylor Bears, for taking his valuable time in the middle of the season to spend some time with us. He did that because, you know, he's big on, on coaching. He's big on college coaching. He wants to see the profession progress. So that's an important thing as well. And, Scott, we uh, want to wish you and the Bears continued success and great luck uh, as we move through the rest of the season and we inch towards uh, the postseason. And to the, those that are listening, if you want to find out more about the NABC, and you, you should visit uh, the website nabc.com.